and a pleasant good evening, Mets fans, and welcome back to the Pleasant Good Evening Podcast. My name's Sam Lovewitz, joined as always by Jack Hendon, and folks, we're back. little weird kind of unplanned hiatus last week, which, well, if you were on Twitter, you kind of had an idea of what was going on with Metsmerize, but we have a lot to talk about today, and we have not one, but two guests that we are planning on bringing on shortly. So before we jump into what we want to talk about before we bring the guests on, Let's talk about what's gone down in the last two weeks. Besides us leaving Metsmerize, because we're no longer with Metsmerize, we are now an independent podcast, which we're not going to go into. Um, we've talked about it on Twitter. If you guys have questions, you can reach out, whatever. Uh, the Mets uh, traded for uh, Jordan Yamamoto. We'll talk about that. The Mets signed Aaron Loop. We'll talk about that. Noah Syndergaard started a book club. We probably won't talk about that uh trevor bauer is not a met we'll talk about that and this morning the mets signed albert almora and we'll talk about that am i missing anything jack also hi jack happy super bowl sunday welcome to the podcast yeah what's up sam i was i was uh i was waiting for the green light yeah we uh steven matz got traded we oh, yeah, were him like too. him too that was like yeah that was probably uh the baseball transaction that the Mets made in the last two weeks that was like most noteworthy but there were I mean the thing that I think is best for us to talk about is what's come up once again uh this time thanks to a a, a detailed article that Ken Rosenthal published in The Athletic uh that pretty much outlines a pattern of harassment and misconduct uh the Mickey Calloway uh demonstrated across five years and three organizations um took the testimonies of, of five separate female reporters who all remain anonymous uh a lot of really gross stuff a lot of uh pretty shocking uh behavior if 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 that's i think what we'll call it uh but i think it, yeah it's probably best that we revisit that just in the wake of uh you know, especially a week off of what happened with Jared Porter. Uh, it, it just, obviously it seems like something that's happening exclusively, you know, to the Mets. That's really not the case. It's, it's much deeper than that. So let's Sam, what, what are your thoughts on that? It's frustrating that we have to talk about this again, because uh, obviously the last time that you guys heard from us, we were talking about the Jared Porter situation. And I think we made our, our thoughts and our opinions and, and our feelings about Porter very clear in our frustration level with that. And, uh, you know, we're, we're talking about it again, and it's disgusting. It, it's shocking. It's appalling. It's disgusting that this is something that is so pervasive in baseball that it's, it's honestly, it's not even like that surprising that we had two stories like this so close together to me yeah. at least. And, and Jack and I, you know, we caught wind of this, before much of the public because you know mesmerized they had the the story leak and all that stuff and, and you know in our kind of staff group chats or whatever there was you know buzz that something was going to come out about Callaway at some point so we had an idea this was going to happen us personally a lot of people outside of you know that mesmerized family didn't but you know so we've had kind of a, a couple weeks to consolidate our thoughts and figure out what we want to say on this and I what I've landed on is that it, I don't have new things to say. 
I don't have new things to say about this because it's the same disgusting, abusive, abuse of power kind of uh, of behavior that that Porter exhibited. It's just on a different on a, in a different kind of scale with Callaway. It's on a bigger scale with Callaway because instead of one woman over text, it's five women, and it's not just over text. It, it is partially at least over text. Some of those messages, man, are just so weird. The Lumineers, really? But I don't want to make light of it. It's yeah. I mean, the thing too is just that, like, I mean, the fact that it was considered the worst kept secret in baseball is what I think really resonated with me. Like, this was something that people knew about. It was it was not a well kept secret. Uh, it was something that organizations were probably tipped off on, didn't care about. Players probably saw this kind of behavior taking place in the clubhouse because he did do things in the clubhouse too. This wasn't a secret life that he led, you know, where he was flirting with reporters. He was also peacocking them, which is disgusting. Also commenting on the way they look, uncalled for and unprofessional. Um, And organizations knew that this was happening. Uh, evidently didn't warn each other sufficiently. And if they did, then the organizations that still decided to bring him on, whether that's the Mets or the Angels or even, you know, Cleveland, if they knew stuff about this before he was hired with them, like, like, and they just didn't care. I mean, you either have best case scenarios that nobody knew, which means that we need to develop a culture in which people know that this kind of thing is happening because five, like a network, there aren't that many women in sports journalism. They know you know, these stories because they talk amongst each other because this is obviously a very stressful and almost predatory business for them. Like you have that aspect of it. And then you just have the fact that, you know, worst case scenario, they know and they don't care. In which case it's, I mean, it's not, it it begs the question if it even, you know, if we can even like save baseball at that point, if people don't care about this and, and yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it just sucks. It, it really just sucks. It sucks. And I feel I feel awful for the reporters are involved. I feel awful for the people who have stories that haven't been heard. I feel awful for the, you know, the people who have stories about other men who, who, you know, haven't been able to share their stories. And, you know, whose harassers are still just out there making millions doing doing their job every day. Mm-hmm. I feel terrible. And, you know, last time we talked about this kind of thing, when we talked about Porter, Jack and I, like, tried to get up on our, our little mini soapbox here and, and say that we need to be pushing, uh, uh, you know, women-centered content right now, the voices of women, that we need to be putting them in the spotlight right now. And so for us, it felt really disingenuous for us, disingenuous, you know, for us to do that two weeks in a row without, like, fulfilling our, our wishes. So we have two guests today. And we're not bringing them on the show because they're both women, but we think it's dope that they are, you know, females and that we can like actually do what we wanted to do and, and, and push out female voices here. So like, we're going to bring on Allison McKaig and then we're going to bring out uh, Allie Kaler later on. So why don't we, why don't we uh, give a little intro on Allison here? Yeah, for sure. So Allison, if you're on Matt's Twitter is one of the, uh, premier voices, uh, not just amongst women, but amongst most, I think, accounts that uh, tend to circulate. She's at uh, Petite PhD on Twitter, if you want to follow her. She's written 
just over 700 articles for Amazing Avenue uh, in the last four years. She's also published a number of pieces between Baseball Prospectus and the Hardball Times. Um, right now, I think the thing that a lot of people know and respect her most for is the work she's done as a co-host uh, for A Pot of Their Own, which is affiliated with Amazing Avenue. She's done this alongside Maggie Wigan, Linda Sorovich, and Kellyanne Healy for a few years. Uh, Definitely one of the best, I think, baseball podcasts out there uh, as it is. Uh, it definitely adds a little bit to know that these are mostly female voices who are uh, attacking not only baseball issues, but social justice issues within the sport uh, in weekly baseball conversation. Uh, this is, I think, a really big deal for us. Uh, this is our first non-metsmerized figure aside from professional players who were who, who we've had on uh also a promising geneticist that's the other thing she's currently working on uh getting uh her her phd which is a huge deal so she's uh like, she's like ridiculously smart yeah and yeah. she's an incredibly interesting and incredibly thoughtful person and she's you know at 22 episodes into this podcast she is the first non-male voice that we're having on here which is a bit of an oversight on our part our part probably but we are absolutely stoked to have her on the podcast and without further ado welcome to the podcast allison mckay hey guys thanks for having me yeah of course thanks for uh thanks for coming on what's uh what's been going on with a pot of their own tell us a little bit about that um, so yeah, the pod has been very, uh, very not uh, specific baseball transaction focused lately. Unfortunately, we don't like that, but um, pod's been very uh, focused on the Porter and Callaway situations lately. Um, before that, I think it's been a roller coaster because right before the um, all of that went down was the episode where we covered the Francisco Lindor trade. So that was like a high and it, I feel like it's gone very roller coaster ever since. Um, but during the off season, we try to mix up a lot of different content. So we'll have a few episodes that are very Mets heavy, um, like we've been having, but then we'll try to mix it up by having like a guest or something like that. So next week we're having Andrea Williams on, who's uh, the author of Baseball's Leading Lady about Effa Manley and the history of the Negro Leagues. And so that episode I'm really excited about. So that's going to be next week. So keep an eye out for that. So yeah, during the off season, we try to mix up things and have like a lot of guests um, and, you know, keep things, keep things light while uh, we wait for various news to happen. Um, this off season has obviously been rather unusual um, because it's been filled with a lot of stuff that kind of falls in our pods wheelhouse as far as like social justice issues and things like that. But um, usually we try to mix it up between Mets hot stove news, baseball wide stories and guest speakers. So. Absolutely. So you guys all at home listening, you should check them out because they are excellent and they really are one of the best not just Mets podcasts, but baseball podcasts that you could you could find anywhere right now. And especially if you want more in-depth takes on, on Callaway and Porter, because we're not going to have Allison really break down all that stuff. She's already talked about all that stuff on her own pod, so check that out. But before we talk about like Steven Matz and Aaron Loop and all that stuff, we did want to just talk about one aspect of the Callaway situation, because Steve Cohen and Sandy Ellerson did release statements. Uh, yep. And I think we all have thoughts on those statements, basically <laughs> saying that you know, this would have never been allowed to happen under our watch, which I have feelings about because 
Sandy Alderson, like you hired both these guys. Right. Exactly. Um, I, it's, it's interesting because the timeline, so Steve Cohen's statement, I mean, like it's unusual that an owner needs to even release a statement in a situation like this, especially some of when it didn't happen under his ownership. Um, but at the same time, he does have, you know, a history. People forget that Steve Cohen has a history with this too, with his company um, is currently under suit for like, you know, sexual discrimination. So um, I think that it's important that he at least took the effort to release that one sentence, like this wouldn't be tolerated under my ownership type of statement. Um, but from Sandy, especially the words ring a little hollow when this has happened twice on your, on your watch now, although the Mickey Calloway situation, the timeline's a little dubious because he went on leave like right before the Mets claim that they found out about the one incident that is claimed in the athletic piece. So the athletic piece says that the Mets claim they knew about one incident. And I think it was August of 2018 and Alderson's, uh, Alderson's leave for his cancer treatment started in July, 2018. So it's like, he does have plausible deniability here to say, I didn't know about any of this. That said, do you take him at his word? I don't know. On one hand, you know, he's built a reputation in baseball, like a lot of these men have a very solid reputation of being an ambassador for the game. But on the other hand, again, this has happened twice now. He brought back Jose Reyes under his watch. Like this, these are the sorts of things that sort of where there's smoke, there's fire sometimes and they pile up. And so it's hard to take him at his word when you look at his entire body of work, even if maybe the timeline does technically add up that he can say he didn't know. Yeah. For sure. And also, I think let's, you know, if we really even wanted to say, well, he didn't know, I mean, that's still a, a pretty damning indictment of his inability to vet. I mean, the fact that he wouldn't have the right people in place to let him know about the worst kept secret in baseball, you know, it's, it's not a malicious sort of not knowing or not caring, but it is still not knowing and not caring. And I think that like, that's sort of the point that I think in my discussions with people who say like we're being too dramatic about it kind of that's where I think it, it falls on them like they don't really understand it because ultimately like I don't know I feel like we need to approach these situations with as much I think seriousness as we can and as high a standard as we can hold so that this kind of stuff doesn't happen anymore because I think we all just you know don't really want to uh have to hear about people not knowing like there's really no excuse is I think what I'm trying to add there I don't know yeah. If that's, yeah I think not I think the way you put it is perfect like the not it's not malicious but it's still harmful and that harkens back to how he let slip the reporter's home country in the Jared Porter uh in the Jared Porter uh post firing press conference like did he maliciously do that on purpose no I don't think so but what is he still like woefully ignorant of how harmful that is yes and that's a problem and that's that comes from him just being you know another old school white dude in the game who doesn't understand the harm that his actions can have all the time and I think that that's a huge part of the problem here yeah Mickey Calloway by the way still employed 
by the LA Angels as their pitching coach as of today yeah of today, it's he's suspended court. it's it's a weird labor law situation so he's suspended but not fired because they in order so in order to not be on the hook for his salary again you know you could just do the right thing and not try to save a million dollars or whatever it is but it you know every baseball team is cheap um so in order to not have to be on the hook for his salary he has to be suspended rather than fired while baseball conducts its investigation which I think the angels probably thought would be done by now but is somehow not done yet um which i don't know if that means that there's more to this than we think or if they're just dragging their feet for whatever reason unclear but the investigation is still not done if the investigation finds he is culpable for these things and there is sufficient evidence that he can be fired with cause then they don't have to pay his contract and they're not they don't open themselves up to a lawsuit if they fire him before this investigation is over. So that's the weird situation. But, you know, as of right now, he is still employed, technically speaking, which is really unfortunate. Yeah, and considering the fact that there's at least five witnesses and many, many screenshots, there is definitely just cause to fire him. Yeah. It is literally hand-wringing over like 500,000, a million dollars, whatever's left on his his contract. They can terminate him, but if they want to save that that money, they got to actually like, do the whole investigation stuff which is incredibly frustrating that it's taken them this long to actually like do all of this he should be out the door but he's not and it's yeah. over some money and and that's just the nature of baseball which is disappointing but let's talk Indeed. baseball why don't we talk some sure. baseball let's, yes. it's more let's. fun to talk about you know players rather than about sexual harassment so if we want to break down piece by piece, we're going to talk Trevor Bauer, but we have a guest who's going to come on and we're going to talk Trevor Bauer with her. Uh, so we're going to talk everything else, the more kind of concrete Mets news that involved Mets actually acquiring players. Like Steven Matz is now a Toronto Blue Jay. Yep. Uh, they acquired three pitchers in return for Steven Matz, which include Sean Wright Foley, uh, Yenny's Diaz, and uh, Josh Winskowski. I'm actually not at all uh, sure how to pronounce his last name. All three of them are upper minors type depth guys. They're all guys who are on the 40 man and or will be at some point soon and can pitch in the majors within the next calendar year or so. And kind of a sad way for Steven to go out, but it's a good trade because they recoup some real good depth for a guy who almost got non-tendered. Yeah. I mean, it's been clear. It's been clear that the Mets approach to the back end of their rotation this offseason has been shed guys that do not have options in favor of optionable arms um, that are cheap and under team control. That's what the Joey Lucchesi situation was. And that's what this situation is as well. And I think it's a good approach. I mean, like you said, it is kind of anticlimactic for Steven Matz's career to end this Mets career to end this way. Um, but I... I don't know. Like I wanted to, I desperately wanted to have faith in him because he's a homegrown guy. And by all, you know, accounts, a really good teammate and like, you know, from Long Island um, really enjoyed rooting for him. The 2015 Steven Matz was so fun with Matz's grandpa and everything. It's just, it goes down in Mets lore. It really does. And I desperately wanted to root for him. Um, But by all like, you know, accounts last year, I know last year was weird, but he kind of looked like he was toast more or less. Hopefully the Blue Jays can fix him. I really hope so. Nothing, no bad blood or anything like that. I absolutely wish him the best of luck. He just, you know, if I were to recommend Steven do one thing, it would be stop giving up a lot of home runs. Uh, (laughs) Because he, you know, we were playing this this game last year where every time he took them out, it's like, all right, which two nationals or which two Braves are going to take him deep today? 
because uh, he always gave up two. It was never just one. Who's he going to leave? Which right-handed hitter is he going to leave a changeup over the plate for? That was the game I played with my friends. And it was usually like Josh Harrison. Or Trey Turner. Trey Turner, Howie Kendrick, uh, uh, Scott Kingery. Who else we got? Yeah, okay. it doesn't yeah. really matter. Yeah, but like Adam yeah. Duvall, it, it <laughs> like – if you look at the trade just from a baseball aspect and kind of put away the emotional, like, ah, I feel bad for Steven that this is how it went for him. Uh, the Mets got like three guys who are, who have value. They might, all three of them might be real bad, which is fine, but they are all uh, optionable, very controllable guys. The only one with uh, major league experience with considerable major league experience is Sean Wright Foley. Uh, Diaz has like a game or two under his belt in the majors. And I don't think Winskowski's played at all. Uh, but they're all guys who you can stow in AAA and can, you know, just have his depth, which is good. And like to your point, Allison, about they're trying to acquire guys who are optionable. We'd look at the Almora acquisition today. Earlier this morning, the Mets signed Albert Almora or pending a physical. Uh, Almora has an option left and has two years of team control. He's not a classic free agent. Uh, whereas if they had gone like with Jake Marisnik uh, to resign him or even Juan Ligaris, who signed with the Angels yesterday, you don't have that option where the guy is optionable because Almora was non-tendered. So he's like in this weird kind of free agency limbo where he doesn't have the six years of service time. So he still has options and he's still arbitration eligible. It's weird. But I definitely think that in terms of the depth that with Luke Casey and with Winskowski and Sean Wright Foley and Diaz, they are, they are trying to bring in guys who are optionable because it gives you more leeway on your roster it gives you more flexibility on your roster of guys you can bring up and down and, and not have to be so like hamstrung where the seventh guy in your bullpen is Brad Brock, who's not optionable and you have to DFA him if you want to get rid of him. Yeah. Their goal is to not have to make the Wilmer font trade mid season. Like they always seem to have to like, this is to avoid like, like having Wilmer font and Walker Lockett's spot starts. That's the yeah. idea of this, which is good. Um, with Almora, I mean, obviously I think it's, it's fine. He's not going to cost much. I don't think the terms are actually available yet. I don't know how much they're paying him. It can't be much. Um, but it is underwhelming certainly when you thought that this was potentially George Springer and now it's Albert Almora. I mean, if it's, if it's in conjunction with Jackie Bradley, then it's fine, but they they are rumored. It depends on whether you take the rumor, rumor mill seriously. They are rumored to be out on Jackie Bradley because of the Almora signing. Now, what, how much of that is a leak tactic in order to get Jackie Bradley to drop his price is unclear. Um, if that's the case and they end up bringing on both, then I am on board. I mean, Almora is certainly a better option than Guillermo Heredia, uh, who is currently the backup outfielder at this time. Um, so to me, that's fine. But if this is the only acquisition indeed, and they don't intend to pursue Bradley further, it does still, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not very comfortable with that outfield as it stands. Then I don't know. Yeah. Right before we went on with you, Allison, Disha Thozar tweeted out that and I'm sure this is what you're referring to that. Yep. That Bradley is, is that the Mets are out on, on Jackie, which is kind of disappointing, but maybe it is a tactic. Who knows? Cause we just got done with a whole bunch of side leaks and tactics and free agency with Bauer. And it's a man, it's a mess. All that yeah. stuff reporters getting caught in the crossfire and who knows what's going on behind the scenes. And like the Mets have not been a very before the, 
Bauer drama, we'll call it the, the decision drama, whatever. Before that, the Mets were not a very leaky front office this offseason at all. No one saw the, saw the Lindor trade coming. So I don't know. It's hard to know like what leaks are purposeful and what leaks aren't. Whereas under Wilpon ownership, like that stuff was all rather transparent because they were pretty amateurish at it. Whereas I think that this new operation at least is a little more savvy about what they leak and what they don't. Right. Like with, with the Bauer situation, a lot of the leaks were coming from Bauer and, and Rachel Lou, but like when Bob Nightingale reported that the Mets and Bauer had a deal in place, no doubt in my mind that that came straight from Rachel Luba. There's no yeah. doubt. Cause Bauer, I mean, Nightingale had been tweeting Bauer side leaks, like all off season about how he wants to break Garrett Cole's record. He wants to pitch every fourth day, all that stuff, which you're only going to get that from the, the player's agent or the player himself. And tweeting like Nightingale saying that, that the Mets have an agreement with Bauer when it was just not true uh, is definitely Luba saying, okay, let's get the Dodgers back to the table. They're going to panic and they're going to up their price, which is exactly what happened. Uh, it's good business. You know, I don't like Luba and I don't like Bauer, but it's, it's a tactic that worked in this case. And yep. <laughs> she, she got, she got her client the bag. I mean, for whatever, you know, whatever else you want to say about her. And I've said plenty and I'm not going to repeat it all here, but uh, whatever else you want to say, she got her client the bag in the end. Um, and I guess that's what, that's clearly what matters to them both. So, right. So swinging, Tov. exactly. So swinging it back to the conversation we were having about, about the depth pieces that the Mets have brought in. Um, we can, we can touch on Jordan Yamamoto, who honestly of the, the guys the Mets brought in this week, I'm kind of vaguely the most into him you know, excited about him because he's not very far off from having been like a very solid, good. like a solid three or four guy. He's young. Another one of these optionable guys. We got him for a, a prospect that's like not even worth mentioning. And he, he's, he was one of the, the pieces that went to the Marlins from the Brewers in the Christian Yelich trade. And when he he's Hawaiian, which is very cool. I'm sure Ron Darling will be very excited about that. Uh, <laughs> When he came to the Marlins, he first came up, he was successful. He's got a big curveball and a good slider. His, his uh, stat cast numbers on his breaking ball are very sexy. Um, and then the, the rumor has it that he showed up to summer camp in 2020, a little bit out of shape. Marlins didn't really like that. Don Mattingly wasn't very happy with that, may have pushed him down a little bit uh, on the depth chart as a result. So, you know, if he shows up in good shape in, in 2021, and if those stat cast numbers, those spin rates are still off the charts, then we're looking at a guy who, who might like fight for uh, uh, like a 26 man spot, maybe a swing guy. If they don't bring in another starter, if they don't bring in Odorizzi or a Paxton or a God forbid, Jake Arrieta, who knows, who knows what, what's in the card for Yamamoto, but I'm, I'm very intrigued by him. I agree. I think it was a, I think it was a really good acquisition on their part. Um, again, you know, they're bringing on guys that, depth that can compete for that fifth starter role and if they don't win that fifth starter role can lay in waiting um in case somebody gets hurt or you know is ineffective um i think he could be legitimately in competition with luke Hesse for that spot um as things stand right now i yeah i'm i'm excited by him and he knew the lfgm uh hashtag right away so that's that's how to get on my good side immediately yeah. Another cool thing about him is he uh, he actually wore the number 50 on the back of his jersey as a homage to Hawaii Five O, which I didn't oh, even know. Oh, that's awesome. That. that is really cool, though. Uh, I, uh, yeah, I like Yamamoto, too. I actually like, to your point, Allison, about the Wilmer Font and Ariel Hirado style deals. Like, 
not only are they not trading for Wilmer Fonts and Ariel Harados, like they're trading for guys who are better than them. Like not, not like considerably better, but still like, I mean, Yamamoto has an actual profile, which is nice to see. Um, uh, you they're know, guys and- with prospect pedigrees. These are guys yeah. that are not just like bum, like 40 future value at most. Like dudes, these are guys who, who came up through legit systems in player development, like touted as, as, top organizational prospects and just like haven't had the major league success. Like Yamamoto was traded for Christian Yelich. He was in that package. He was one of the, it was him and Lewis Brinson who headlined that package. Yeah. It's like, it's dudes with actual upside as opposed to like, yeah, maybe their, their floors or even their median outcomes might be similar, but the upside is so much higher with these guys they're acquiring. Like, you know, that there's no chance that Ariel Harado is going to be like any good at all. But so in the end, maybe their numbers are similar, but you're taking the gamble on that upside, which is there for these guys. And it wasn't there for those other guys they were getting. Yeah. And I mean, like, if you're just going to bet on one of these guys of the three that they got from the Blue Jays, if and Yamamoto and Lucchese and Almora today, who's also young and has prospect pedigree. um, And we can talk more about Almora because I have thoughts on him, but if you're going to bet on one of these guys to hit, I think Yamamoto, like there's a chance he's the one who, who you get right. And that's kind of exciting. Cause that's not something that we really have ever been able to say about a Mets depth acquisition in an off season before, at least in recent memory, there's, I don't remember a time where the Mets brought in a, a guy who was a fringe 40 man guy. And I was legitimately excited about it. Yeah. JD might be the closest example. Cause he didn't really, he was like the fifth guy on the infield depth chart when Brody got him, but I don't know. That's, it's, that's not Yamamoto. Like JD wasn't designated for assignment. Right. So we're going to have Ali Kaler on the podcast in just a few minutes, but before we do, let's talk a little Albert Almora because that is the most fresh uh, bit of Mets news. I woke up to that news today that the Mets were bringing him in and Basically, what you got to know about Albert Amora is he is like sort of Juan Ligaris-ish. Basically, he's going to have that role. He's uh, going to play against lefties. He's going to come late in games, uh, come into the game late in games when uh, they're leading. And, and so Dom doesn't have to play defense anymore. And you could slide Nemo over to left field. And uh, he doesn't really hit. Um, and honestly, he might not even be that good of a defensive center fielder, but based on your options on the market, he, there is still maybe a little bit upside there. He again has options, hasn't, I think a singular option and two years of team control. So it's, there's value. Uh, Is he good? No, but there is value. Yeah, he, he's, he's meant, I mean, he's been billed as a platoon partner for Nimmo for his career. He has like a 95 WRC plus against lefties, which is, you know, that's fine for a light hitting defense first sort of platoon partner. Um, although last year, I'm not last year, 2019, he had like a 37 WRC plus against lefties. So like, I don't know. It's kind of like when you got it, when you can get Tomas Nito level production, you gotta do it. But I mean, who knows? Like it, it could, these platoon guys are so weird because the sample sizes are pretty small out of the time. And like, who knows if that 37 was like an aberration. I didn't want to check the 2020 stats because like they don't tell us much. So 29, if 2019 is any indication, that's not ideal. But over the course of his career against lefties, he's been fine more or less. But that w- that's including early on when they thought he like maybe could hit. And now that's kind of in question about whether he can hit at all. 
right. He was a first round pick by the Cubs and he's still young. He's 26 turning 27. And from every indication, he's a, he's a high character guy. He's very well liked. He was very well liked by the Cubs and the Cubs fan base. Seems like a, an excitable, almost like Kike Hernandez type energy, just fun dude um, who people enjoy being around. Um, the big thing you got it like it hasn't really, I haven't really seen it been talked about since they, you know, were rumored to sign him, but his numbers took a significant downturn immediately after an incident in early 2019 in, in late May of 2019, when he fouled a ball off into the stands and hit a young fan and like Ooh. made eye contact with this young girl and was just distraught about it. I and, forgot that was him. Yeah. It's you look at his numbers and he, in 2018, he hit 286. It was like an empty 286, but he still hit 286 with good defense. And then in 2019, his numbers started off okay. That thing happened in late May, and he was just god-awful the rest of the year. His 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 BABIP numbers went down. His, um, his exit velocity numbers went down. Like, all of his metrics took a downturn. He hit for more power in 2019, but he had worse overall offensive stats. He had a lower OPS, and his defense wasn't as good. So I, I honestly wonder how much of a psychological impact that incident had on him. And I can't imagine, I can't imagine it's a coincidence that his numbers took such a steep downturn after something that could be so traumatizing as, as injuring a young fan with, with a ball off your bat. Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that because I forgot that was him, but yeah, it's definitely something to consider. Also put nets up everyone. Yeah. Yeah. We need more nets for sure. Um, yeah, uh, so we're probably, let's see, this is probably a good time to uh, introduce Allie, I would, I would say, because basically what we're looking at now in the offseason is I feel like we've been on this kind of weird arc where it started with Lindor and then they, you know, I mean, say what you will about uh, who Trevor Bauer is as a person. I think that was like, viewed as what was going to be like the next big acquisition after George Springer fell through. And then that fell through. And now we're talking about another like right-handed hitting outfielder. So that there seems to be a narrative that like the off season hasn't, has, has been, I think a bit of a failure. I don't really buy it. I also definitely don't buy that. It's a failure because they missed out on Bauer. I know Ali definitely as a, uh, a Reds fan who watched Bauer in 2020 has a lot of opinions on this, uh, it probably isn't as bad as you guys think it is though. Like, like it's, we'll, it's I, just, it's optics, right? It's yeah. not actually about like the baseball part of it. It's op it's optically bad. Like the, the Lindor trade started things off on such a high, high. And I mean, like, we shouldn't discount that. That's still like better than any free agent. I, I think it needs to be emphasized that the Lindor trade is better than any free agent acquisition they could have made, no matter who it was Springer, Bauer, or otherwise from a baseball standpoint that absolutely. So, but it started off on such a high, high. And then it was kind of a bunch of, we tried from there. And so like, it's 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 just it just doesn't look good and honestly like if, if from my perspective obviously very thrilled that they didn't get Bauer everyone knows my feelings about this thrilled but if you were willing to throw the 40 million dollar a year bag at him you've got to f- do something else with that money like it just seems to me as if they were willing to go the extra mile for Bauer and nobody else which is really upsetting to me personally like 
you weren't willing to outbid the Blue Jays for Springer, but you were willing to really go in hard on Bauer. It seemed like he was their all-in guy, and it's like that's the guy you really picked to be your all-in guy. And then like after that, you're just gonna go with like Albert Almora and be like, and like maybe James Paxton and be like, I we're done. Like that's kind of upsetting. So like, it's not that I consider the offseason a failure because regardless of what else happens, if they got Lindor, it's not a failure. Like, especially if they have to extend him with the caveat, they have to extend him, which I think they will. I still have like very strong faith that they will do that, but I don't, I do not think this offseason is a failure. It's just underwhelming given the bar that was set early, I guess right. is the best way I can describe it. And I'm disappointed that Bauer seemed to be like their guy TM <laughs> and that's not great. <laughs> I think for me, I think for me, it's like Bauer was, I think, I think Bauer was Sandy's guy. I think Bauer was Sandy's guy the whole way. And I think when they brought in Porter, Porter had a very clear idea of what he wanted to do. Cause Porter for as, as crappy a human being as he turned out to be, the dude did have an idea of how to run a baseball team. And, you know, he, he knew what moves were the right moves for this team. And, you know, the early off season buzz with Bauer that the Mets were interested in him dissipated after they brought him in as a GM. And I think that that that's not a coincidence and they pivoted to Springer and then Porter turns out to be a disgusting shit bag and they pivot away from Springer when Sandy takes back control. I don't think that's necessarily coincidence. I don't think so either. You know, I just, it bothers me a little bit (laughs) that this is the guy that's running the team now uh, that it's the Bauer guy instead of the Springer guy. Um, but, you know, I, I hope maybe Zach Scott is willing to assert his his uh, his level of analytical uh, aptitude a little more now that he's the, the acting GM. Yeah, it's um, unclear. I think it's unclear what we got a little taste of what Porter's vision would have been. We know we very much know Sandy Alderson's MO because we as Mets fans are familiar with Sandy Alderson. But I although like obviously under a different ownership, things are very different when it's Sandy unleashed, so to speak. But clearly, since he was willing to give Bauer that money. Um, but like it's unclear what Zach Scott's philosophy is going to be. And it'll be interesting to see that play out. Right. I, I can't call this offseason a failure or anything close to it. They had needs that they needed to fill and they have filled them. They got a superstar to play shortstop. They needed a true center fielder on the roster. They, they did that today. They needed a, a left-handed reliever in the bullpen. They did that today. They needed starting pitching depth. They, they definitely did that today or not just today, but they definitely did that with the and with Yamamoto, like we talked about and with the three guys from the match trade. And so they they filled these, these spots, but there's still money to spend. There's still things they could do. They should still probably try to trade for Chris Bryant or try to trade for Sonny Gray and Eugenio Suarez or even sign Justin Turner, someone at third base if you're not going to attack center field. Sign Jake Odorizzi if you were if you really wanted to sign one of the top remaining starting pitchers. Go sign the next best guy who is honestly not that far off of Trevor Bauer in terms of median value, and he's way, way cheaper. And, like, just go do stuff that's not go Albert Almora. Go yeah. do stuff. Because you still, yeah. there are still good players that you can go get. And yeah. on that note, I'm going to introduce Allie Kaler because she's, uh, you know, she's waiting for us to, to bring her on. And before we bring her on, quick little thing about Allie. Allie is not only one of my best friends, she's also one of the smartest baseball people that I know. Uh, she he is a student here at Syracuse University with me. She's the assistant sports editor at the Daily Orange, which is one of the, the preeminent uh, college newspapers in the country. She's a very smart journalist and a very smart baseball person. And an excellent person in general. She's a Reds fan, uh, grew up in Cincinnati. 
and you could follow her at Twitter at uh, at Cincinnati, which is an elite Twitter at. And without further ado, here is my friend Allie Kaler. Hey, what's up, guys? Thanks for coming on, Allie. It's really exciting to have you here. And so Trevor Bauer obviously is not a New York Met. He is also not a Cincinnati Red, uh, which is something that I think we can both celebrate a little bit because we both didn't want him on our teams. Uh, and you actually had to deal with him being on your team for a year and a half. So what was that like? Yeah, so um, I remember like, I remember exactly where I was when it happened. Because it happened, like that trade happened in the middle of a game. And like Puig was out in right field back when he was red before we knew that he sexually assaulted someone at a Lakers game. But he was out in right field, got pulled out, and everyone was like, hang on, what's going on? And then I think it was like passing a Rosenthal, like tweeted that he was going to the Indians. And like I was literally like sitting on my floor in my living room, like watching the game. It's like, I don't know, 10 p.m. or whatever. The Reds were probably losing. I don't even remember. But like I was so upset because like I love Puig as a Red, like he was super fun with the team and like that was like the first like big trade that the Reds had made in a while it's like even though they sucked it was like hey well we got our guy this year and I was at one of his first games like after he was traded and I remember like actively rooting against him like (laughs) I didn't care that he was on my team. I did not want Trevor Bauer to pitch well, and he didn't pitch well. He, with the Reds, had, like, gave up, like, multiple runs a game for I don't even know how long. Like, he was horrible at the end of 2019, and I know that he was, like, battling injuries earlier that season, and, like, he's trying to get used to being on a new team, so it's, like, that probably contributed to, like, how much he sucked in 2019, but it was like joyous for me to see. I was like, I want like everyone to know that this trade sucked. And then for the second half of 2019, I was pretty right about that. And then he comes in 2020 in his first game of the season, like shuts down the Tigers. And it's like, okay, well, it was the Tigers. And then he comes out five days later, does it again, also against the Tigers. And like that is like my biggest like Bauer thing like obviously this season he was very good like sub two ERA like literally everything was like going for this guy and like based solely off of his stats sure he did deserve the Cy Young but then you look at the 12 games he pitched in um the only teams that made the playoffs that he pitched against were the White Sox the Cubs the Brewers and then obviously the Braves in that first round and like the Brewers were sub 500 the Cubs were barely above 500 all of those teams got bounced in the first round so it's like it's one thing to have like what Jake DeGrom did a couple years ago where he was like outstanding it's like Bauer had similar numbers except he was facing the Cubs the Tigers the Pirates Like, all of these teams that just weren't good, which is what, like, if I was a Dodgers fan, I'd be kind of worried about, like, yes, he had, like, these amazing numbers. His peripherals were pretty good, but he wasn't facing, like, 
top talent competition. And then like when he did come out and he had to face good teams, like he got shelled by the Cubs in one of his appearances against them. And he had two complete games this season. One was a doubleheader against the um, Tigers. The other one was a doubleheader against the Royals. So congrats, you gave up zero runs in seven innings to teams that won 20 games. So that that was just like my take on Bauer with the Reds. Like, I'm not saying he's bad because like he's obviously a very good and very talented pitcher. But like when you're playing in NL Central and the only other teams you're playing are in AL Central, it's like you can't use those numbers to say that like he's definitely a good pitcher and this is the kind of pitcher he will be going forward. Yeah, if you go by just like WRC plus, 10 of the 12 starts were against below average offenses. He had a one start against the White Sox and one start against the Braves in the playoffs. And he shoved against the Braves, like to his credit. But 10 of 12 starts were against below average offenses, which would have me a little concerned. I, he's not going to repeat a 178 ERA. He's not going to do that again with the Dodgers. He's going to have starts and cores. He's going to have starts against the Padres. You know, even if he's in division again, for whatever reason, he's not going to be facing offenses as bad as the Royals and the Tigers and the Pirates. And the other thing is with Bauer is obviously this year, there's the conversation about the substances, the cheating, not, you know, not steroids, obviously, but sticky substances. He was probably using on the, on the baseball, um, which people say, Oh, everybody uses it. Garrett Cole uses it. Sure. Whatever. But with Bauer, He's basically admitted to it, right? And, you know, there's a stark jump in his numbers. Like, you can pinpoint the exact time when he started using substances. He, he, like, sucked a couple of years ago, where it was, like, if you look at his the beginning of his career through 2018, I think he had, like, one season where he had a sub-4 ERA or something like that. And then he comes in 2018. Um, he's an all-star. He's, like probably the Cy Young front runner before he has like a little injury later in the season ends up finishing sixth but it's like there's that very clear turnaround and it's not like the Indians had any hires that could have like helped out with that he didn't like change teams or anything it was just 2017 to 2018 he randomly has this like incredible jump in his numbers and it's like that's probably what was going on like there's I can't like think of any very good explanation. Other yeah, the, the the dude basically said in an article once, because uh, he's very into pitch design and pitch labs and stuff, and he's worked with Kyle Body, who's now a Reds uh, employee with Driveline Baseball, and, and he's basically said, and he had been quoted in an article in like 2018 that the only way to drastically quickly improve your uh, spin rate on your fastball is to use a controlled substance. Yeah, I, I remember when he was, like, digging at the Astros and, like, Verlander for that, and then, like, immediately has that, like, 1,000 RPM, like, increase it's, in his fastball. It was, like, like a 400, it was, like, a 400 RPM increase between two starts with the Reds in, like, early September 2019. Like, all of a sudden, he jumped 400 RPM, which he said to himself, said that the only way you could do that is if you're cheating, and like coincided with one of his like study outcomes of a specific substance because he did this with he tried like like 
a whole mess because like you said sam like he's a this is a scientific dude who loves to do his research loves to play with his drone all that stuff like like this is just kind of his experiment and but it literally was him getting to do an experiment for 2020 and he did it on like defenseless teams too which is a little a little weak and in a half season too when you have to like you know when you're a free agent you want to make your bag like it it creates a good spectacle but i don't know there definitely seems to be water to the the cheating stuff yeah if he if he for whatever reason decides to stop using that stuff then who knows what version of trevor bauer you get he probably won't stop because he just won a Cy young most likely using substances like that and then there's the you know the internet baggage if you will of him just you know being a shitty person uh, and his contract has opt-outs so he has no motivation to stop using substances if he wants to yeah it's like, like he, he gets caught he's suspended for however long it's like fine i'll just like opt out and go somewhere else next time like yeah, but he won't get suspended though because we just had that 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 story about how like garrett cole and half the pitchers in the league like use this stuff and mlb doesn't care they yeah, he has care. no motivation to stop cheating because he'll be able to opt out and get an even better deal or, you know, just keep winning Cy Youngs and pretending he's the best pitcher in the game or whatever. Yeah, yeah. and there's also the argument that, like, like, well, everybody's doing it. And also, I mean, obviously, if it means everyone's doing it, maybe he's just doing it a little bit better than everyone is. But there's a reason why, like, I've literally watched games where you can see on the television the pitcher going to the back of his head, grabbing sh- – crap off his hat and rubbing the ball like rubbing it into the ball like i just like perfectly vividly remember a kirby yates game where he did that and i was thinking like why don't they why don't they check why doesn't mickey cowley come out and check and the reason for it is probably that like there's i mean there's a code amongst managers where like if you go out and call out my guy for using a substance and i know because everyone's using it that you're using the substance i'm gonna come out next inning and get your guy pulled so it's like a it's it's almost like a, a standoff of sorts. But yeah, and I also think with the, the the personality thing, that's also really important because, you know, for the Mets at least, I mean, not only are they missing out on uh, you know, someone who really isn't like that good, so to speak, but they're also, you know, they don't get a chance to squash uh their opportunity to like show everyone that they want to implement a good culture. And I, the counterpoint to that is obviously that, well, they tried really hard to squash it. They tried really hard to bring this guy in, uh, even though he has a history of like harassing female reporters, not even female reporters, but like just like 19 year old girls online. Um, and he knows that his followers will be even nastier because they don't have anything to lose by doing it. And he has no dog in it, so he doesn't have to stop it. Like, I don't know. It it that's the other aspect of it. And I, I don't know. I I think the Mets did miss out, uh, on something really like they did dodge a bullet, but they also I think showed a lot of uh, teeth in this. So, yeah, kind of, yeah. The fact that they were in on him so much was tone deaf enough. If they had signed him, it would have been real, real bad. Um, and would have opened up a lot of conversation as to, you know, legitimately the Mets being villains right now in baseball. And and I'm glad that we don't really have to deal with that head on because obviously I don't want my favorite team to be the villains, to be the heel of baseball with Bauer in tow and all this this baggage this offseason. But it is still concerning that, you know, they went after him as hard as they did. Um, 
But, you know, that's kind of it with Trevor Bauer. They dodged a bullet in not signing him in terms of the person he was. Maybe he makes them better, but the hope is is that they can they can turn around and spend some money elsewhere now that now that he's not going to be a Met. And on that note, you know, this has been kind of a, a jam-packed episode. You know, we took a week off and, and we had lots to talk about this week and lots of new voices, which we are so thankful for and has been awesome. And before we get out of here, as always, it's time to once again remember some guys and let's let's do our guests first. Ali, you're not a Mets fan, so totally acceptable if you don't want to remember a Met but I'm very interested to see what you've got in the chamber. So Ali Kaler, start us off. Who are you remembering this week? So Sam, we had a conversation a couple weeks ago about who, like who are like the random guys who have played for both the Mets and the Reds. So I'm pulling someone from that conversation and I am going to remember Reds and Mets legend, Marlon Bird, who played a combined 212 games for the Reds and the Mets. Man, Marlon Bird was fun when he was on the Mets for like a small little period of time. I He was fun. He, I love they, Marlon Bird. And then they traded him for, for Dilson Herrera, and I was like pumped about that because I thought Dilson Herrera also a, a former another Red. Reds. Another Mets Reds legend. I, you know, Herrera was going to be like a stud, I thought. And then he they brought him up when he was 20, stunted his growth, uh, kind of um, – Chris flexed him a little bit, even though I think he was a better prospect than flexed him. Just ugh. Dilson Herrera, subject of Tom Brenneman's second worst ever call in a game, like ever. What was the call? Wait, I haven't heard of this. Um, her, if this was like the bottom of the tenth inning or something like that, and like bases loaded, uh, he lines one into like center field, and Tom just goes, Dilson. Dealson, Dealson, horrible, horrible, horrible call. Oh my I, like it, that call lives rent free in my mind. It was I know the so call. bad. I need to find that. I've I'm never. Familiar. I know a lot about Tom Brenneman being a bad broadcaster. This is when you guys tweet this episode. Can you please tweet this video? Yeah, absolutely. We will tweet the video. We may even uh, make it incorporate it into our breakdown. Oh, that'd be so good. Oh, man, yeah. yeah. Uh, so a little double double Mets Reds Legends action with uh, Marlon Bird and Dilson Herrera that kind of turned into more of a Dilson remembering than than Marlon remembering. But uh, Allison, what do you got locked in the chamber for us for for remembering guys? Who are you remembering? So with the the um, acquisition of uh, Almora this morning, I was thinking about like very random light hitting Mets outfielders and like who is the most random I could think of. And uh, my pick for that is Jason Pridey. Um, <laughs> so that's the guy I'm remembering because, so I, um, so Jason Pridey played for the Mets, I think it was 2011. Yeah, it was to the 2011 Mets and 2000, about 2010 to 2013 is like kind of a black hole in my Mets, like knowledge, because not only were the Mets pretty bad during that time, but they were like, I was in college. And so I didn't get to watch the games because I went to college at University of Delaware. And so I only um, got to see games where they played the Phillies. So I wasn't watching them a whole lot. But I, for some reason, Jason Pridey is one random Met from that period. I just remember for some reason. He just sticks in my mind for no other reason because it's not like he was any 
good with the Mets. He was average-ish, but he's that type of guy who had like way too many at-bats for the 2011 Mets. And yeah, Jason Pride is the guy I'm remembering today. He didn't even go anywhere after they, uh, I'm pretty sure like he got maybe a combined like seven or eight at-bats in Major League Baseball after. Yeah, his- he played, like here's, like here's my favorite at Jason Pride remembering. Here's his games played breakdown year by year for his career. Ready? Right. 2008, 10. 2009, 1, 2011, 101, 2012, 9, 2013, 4, 2014, 2, 2015, 6. So that's his entire career. And so he played more than 10 games, only one year of his career. And it was what he played 101 games for the 2011 Mets. Man, no offense to Jason Pryde, but he was also kind of like an ugly looking dude. Yeah. His eyes are too far apart. I'm looking at his picture. His eyes are too far apart. Kind of like a bootleg Adam Eaton. That's my main criticism. That's a really good call, Jack. Yeah, bootleg Adam Eaton. He, uh, he, the only thing about the 2010-2013 era that was different, like the teams were all the same. The players all had the same like symbolic value. Only thing that they did differently was they like brought the fences in and changed the color of the fences. Yeah, <laughs> that that did happen during that time. Oh, and Ari Dickey, and I guess a no hitter, but that like that that doesn't even register. Like I don't even remember Ari Dickey sometimes. Uh, Sam, who's your guy? I so I had some concern as Allison was about to go into her her thing about priority that like uh, I was going to be remembering the same guy as her because you know I told her ahead of time that I I usually keep things on brand for the week and and when she said you know keeping things on brand with the Almora signing I was like oh god. She's going to remember my guy. She didn't. My guy is Juan Lagares because, man, you know, he deserves to be remembered right now. He deserves to be remembered right now because of what he did in the winter leagues in the, over the past few weeks leading up to power hitter Juan Lagares dude went off for the Dominican Republic in, in the winter leagues. He like, I think he was just one MVP of the Caribbean series, which ended last night. Like, the dude just decided, hey, I'm going to just hit a bunch of homers in the Dominican Republic over the last few weeks and sign a minor league deal with the Angels and just live my life. And like, good for you, bro. Like this, like I'm very happy for him. And I hope, I hope, I really do hope that it translates into major league success for him yeah. with the Angels. Because I mean, God knows the Angels need a center fielder, but uh, <laughs> good for Juan Ligares. I'm remembering him because obviously Almora, all that stuff, but the dude just like, I hope he rakes this year. <laughs> you remember like at the beginning of 2019 when the whole hype around him was like, it might've been 2018 where he was working with like JD Martinez as hitting coach. And he was going to like learn to reposition his launch angle or recalibrate it or whatever. So he was going to become like a power hitter. And then he just, he had like two home runs in one game over the next two years. Like, like that never, and it was almost like a, it almost became like the butt of a joke because it was like, what power? But I guess he's doing it now. I mean, I never watched Juan Lagares hit a no doubt home run in the seven years he was a Met. And he did it like five times in a, in a span of like two weeks, which is great for him. Yeah, he, he hit 25 over eight years with the Mets, really seven years. Cause yeah. the eighth year was 2020 in which he made two appearances and didn't even get in that bat. Yeah. Um, Two, two games in 2020 and two different numbers. He wore 15 and then then switched to 87. So good for one of the guards, you know. Uh, good luck with the Angels, King. Um, Jack, who are you remembering? 
you remember Daniel Ray Herrera? Yeah. Yeah. The like five foot five left-handed pitcher who screwballer, right? Yeah. He threw like a 65 mile per hour changeup and he also threw a screwball. He, so he is a Met and a Red. I didn't realize it. He basically, so they got him from the Brewers in the K Rod trade after the Brewers claimed him off waivers because the Reds DFA'd him. Um, yeah, the, the defining thing about Danny Herrera was that he was really small, like really, really small. Like they had him and John Roush on the same roster. It was either John Roush or Chris Young, both of whom were like 6'11". And they had him put on, uh, I think it was one of their like pairs of pants and it like went over his head. And that was like the only thing I remember from 2012. What a short king. Yeah, we, we love, love kings, don't we folks? Guys, uh, height doesn't measure heart, right, guys? Right. Hell yeah! As a four foot eleven person, HD. I will I will cop to height doesn't measure heart. That's why Marcus Stroman's one of my favorites. We love our short friends. I will continue to say this: twenty twenty one is the year of short kings. Yeah. So sorry, For Sam, sure. but um, men over six foot need to take a backseat. You know, I I get Five it. Days. Um, painful but you know what i i can i can crouch a little bit uh if, if, if there are any women out there sam is six two by the way like single beautiful women like just throwing that out there rumor has it i can neither conform or deny all um, right i think i think we were getting towards the jump in the shark uh time of the show so let's let's wrap things up um it's been an episode and this you know, I'll see how the uh, how it how it grinds out, but this might be the longest episode we've ever done, and I'm glad that it is because this was a great episode with two guests. With Allie Kaler, by the way, check her out at Cincinnati on Twitter, and she does some good stuff over there. She had her most her best tweet of all time in terms of numbers earlier this week, and it wasn't even baseball related. <laughs> uh, so go check that out, and go check out Allison McKeg at Petite PhD on Twitter, and go listen to her podcast because they are amazing and they deserve even more listeners. Uh, so that's yeah. at a pot of their own um, at a P O T O, I believe. Right. Yeah. Well, it's the, the at is at a pot of their own, but yeah. we okay. do use the Apato acronym quite frequently for other things. One more thing just before we go, cause I forgot to plug this when I was introducing Allison, um, a pot of their own right now is doing a super bowl, it's not really Super Bowl themed, but you can consider it Super Bowl uh, in the spirit of Super Bowl. They are currently doing uh, a fundraiser for the domestic violence hotline. We will link the tweet uh, in our blurb about the episode. We will also retweet it from the account. Um, if as long, all you need to do, uh, make a donation of, of, of any amount to uh, the hotline.org slash donate, send a receipt to uh, a pot of their own, um, either DM or, or through Gmail. Uh, there are going to be giveaways. There are going to be prizes. Uh, and it's for a very, very important cause. So definitely check that out. This is not the first time a pot of their own has uh, taken on a project of this uh, caliber. So definitely give it a look. Anyway. And we'll be doing a live pod on February 23rd um, to give away the prizes. I'll be I'll be literally picking names out of my Mets floral hat. So get excited for that. Um, February 23rd, live pod, prize giveaway for the fundraiser. So thanks, thanks guys for shouting that out. Appreciate it. Yeah, go check that out and go donate. And uh, 
you go support our friends. And that's all we've got. So for Alec Kaler and Allison McCaig and Jack Hendon, my name's been Sam Lebowitz, and this has been a pleasant good evening podcast. And Mets fans, have a pleasant good evening. Thank you.